The manifold grace of God we've been talking about in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. And the word manifold means layers, levels, a variety of ways. And the word grace is haris. By definition, it's a political term. It means the superior renders what is required to the inferior. The king has it all, and the slaves and the citizens have nothing. And it's up to the king to be benevolent enough to render whatever is needed to his citizens. Now, for you that are pretty good Bible students, you understand that over three-fourths of the New Testament is written to slaves. You've got to wrap your head around that. Over three-fourths, some even say up in the 80% of the New Testament that Paul writes to are slaves. They have nothing. They have nothing. And it's not the fact that they won't work. There's just really nothing for them to do. Because if you've been to Palestine or seen the, the train of Jerusalem, <clears throat> outside of a little bit of, a, of olive tree farming, there's not a whole lot going on. So the word grace, you see it as charis, where we get a word for charismatic. It's not how it's pronounced. We're not going to correct you. But it's haris. And it, it's a political term before it was a religious term. And Paul takes this term and he says, as you're well aware that for you that have nothing in your front pockets or in your back pockets, the king has everything. And a good king will provide whatever is needed to his citizens to keep their citizens healthy and happy. And Paul goes through the New Testament saying, so if a natural king can be full of benevolence and kindness, how much more is your spiritual king responsible to take care of your every need? This week and next week, I really want you to pay attention because there's a secret here. There's, there's a secret here going on that you may or may not be aware of in the kingdom of heaven. And, and the secret is that it is what we refer to Four types of graces in this area. The first one, we talked about, it was called saving grace. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. For you're the workmanship, poema. You're a poetry of God. <clears throat> That's a vertical grace. It's, it starts this way, and it works its way down. It is God giving to us. The second one we covered was serving grace. The serving grace was found in Galatians 5, 13 through 15, and that is the horizontal picture. So the cross is made up of two graces in two different directions. It first is initiated by God that has everything giving to us, and now then it's us giving, serving others. And so you may say, <clears throat> then why do I need grace to serve people? Because the people you're sitting by may not be the easiest people to get along with. And so what happens is, is that the Bible says, serve one another as you're serving the Lord. And that's not so easy because people are knuckleheads. Especially Christians. And I've always said that the most, the most, the most hardest people in the world to get along with is not it's not pimps, prostitutes, or plumbers. It's people in the church. It's religious people. They're mean. 
There's just flat meat. I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying there's meanest people in church are, are people sitting in church pews because they get out of fellowship with God. So serving grace, the reason why you need grace that comes from God, <clears throat> excuse me, is because you're going to need a little bit of grace when you deal with other people. Okay? Now keep in mind, watch this. Look at me loud and clear. I'll be a servant to you, but I'm not your slave. Amen. I'll be a servant to you, but don't get the big idea I'm your slave because I'm not. I will definitely set you straight on that. I'm only slave to one, and his name is King Jesus. And I am a slave to him, doulos. It means I am a slave. I have no no ownership in anything. It all belongs to him. Last week, we learned about standing grace. Now, for your information, standing grace, we found in Ephesians 6 and 13. When we left you, can we show that, please, in the good old living Bible? So use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy wherever he attacks and when it is all over, you'll be still standing up. We went through a long process last week about if God didn't give you the grace to stand, when you go through things, you would not. You would fold like a bad long chair. Why is it that you're standing? Why is it that you're still standing up? Why is it that of all the stuff and the junk you've been through, you're still standing? Why is that? Here's the answer. It's God's grace comes to you in standing grace. He gives you the grace to remain and stand. Now, I didn't get to it last week, <clears throat> but I'm going to get to it today. The word stand in the Greek is called estime. Estime means to stand up or to be vertically upright. But stani is a better word for the Greek, and it means a victor's pose. <clears throat> so when he says, having done all to stand, you're standing. And when it's all over, you're still standing. It's the Greek, it's the Greek literature words of this. Not only when you, whatever grueling, encounter that you've been going through, no matter what situation, whether it be financial or family or poverty, health, whatever it may be that you're going through, here's the deal. Having done everything that you're going through and you've been through, you're still standing. There's a reason why you're still standing. You're not that strong on your own. If he didn't give you the grace to stand, you would not be standing. Period. So the Bible says he resists the proud and he grace to the humble. So whenever you, you get to the place where you feel like that I can do something on my own, watch out. I, want, I have one word for you. Timber! You're coming down. Because we should only boast in one. The grace of God gives us the ability to stand, remain standing. And after we've been through all these things, we're still standing up. Stenai is a word in the Greek. It means a victor's pose. A victor's pose. So whether it be an Olympia or a boxer, they've been through a grueling competition and one of them comes out to be the winner. And when he comes out to be the winner, the victor's pose is something like, it ain't like Forrest Gump either. Okay, Jenny, it ain't like that. It's like a, a victor's pose. Standing firm, even though he's exhausted, even though he's tired, he's still standing like a victor. He's not slumped over and slouched over. The great thing about when God used the burning bush to to talk to Moses, the Bible says that after he lit the bush on fire and the bush spoke to Moses, the Bible says that the bush was greener after God set it on fire than it was before he set him on fire. 
God always wants to use you, but he'll never use you up. And if you let God use you, you'll find out that when he gets through with you, you'll be in better shape than when he began with you. A victor's pose is this. Not only are you still standing, but you're standing with great confidence. Not arrogancy, but confidence. Why? Because you come through something. We laugh about it. I laugh about it because I've been here 34 years. But Galen and I laugh about it. There's people come to church here, and they're not here today. But I would say something like, hey, glad you're here. Welcome. Well, I'm here. How you doing? Well, I'm here. Beat down, run over, head kicked in, knuckles bloody. Well, I can see, Einstein, Captain Obvious, that you're here. But I can also tell you, you really don't want to be here. The reason why you're here, because you know that I'll come see you and give you a lecture. Listen, every time you come in here, I know any side by side me ever went through something this week, just raise your hand. If you hadn't, you're lying. And you know what? When you come to this house of God, you should be having a victor's pose. Because the scripture says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So next week, we're going to get into that. It's a great deal. So when you come in here every Sunday morning, don't, don't, you know, don't come in here and just beat down and say, oh, you better do something fantastic. The singers better get it right today. The bass player, I better hit every note right or I'm going to be mad. Well, you're going to be mad whether we hit it wrong or right. A victor's pose is this. Standing grace is this. No matter what I've been through this week and no matter what you've encountered in the last week, month, or year, I don't know how we've done it but I made my way up on this podium every Sunday as a victor because the Bible says in Corinthians that Christ causes us to triumph in all things. And all triumph is, is a little try and a lot of oomph. So the idea this morning, that when we talk about standing grace, the fourth one it's going to be called sufficient grace. So we have a saving grace. We can't be saved without God. Serving grace. We can't really serve one another without God because we'll want to kill one another. Third, we can't stand without God. And lastly, sufficient grace. We will not survive without him. The reason why this is so important because people is going to come and go out of your life. Singers, musicians, teachers, friends, enemies, they're going to come and go like a revolving door. You're going to to experience hurts and battles and frustrations and deaths and divorce. You're going to experience all that stuff, but I will tell you the only way that you're going to survive this thing is through God, not stuff. Somebody said, well, if I had a lot of stuff, it made me happy. That's a lie. Because if you had a lot of money, you wouldn't be happy because you know me and Dvorak would be at your house wanting to borrow some. So the idea this morning that stuff won't give you the incentive to survive. Big houses, fancy cars, even a Harley Davidson motorcycle will not satisfy this, this, this null and void in your heart. Only one thing will, and that is the sufficiency of the grace of God. You're going to find this out. One way or the other, you're going to find it out. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, 
it's part of the verse, and I didn't want to get lost in the whole thing, but it says, my grace is sufficient for thee. Paul said, of all the stuff that you're going through and all the lack that you have and everything that you're complaining that you do have, you don't have, and somebody may say, well, if I had this, it made me happy. Listen, that's not even biblical. Watch this. Somebody say, well, you know, if I had, had $10,000 that I would donate to the church. No, you wouldn't. If you won't donate 100, you won't donate 10,000, so don't start lying. You're not paying attention. Somebody said, well, if I won the lottery, if I won that, how much was that? About a billion? Billion dollars. If I won that billion dollars, I'd donate. What's the tenth of a billion, Danny? It doesn't mean he's asleep. What's the tenth of a billion? A lot. He's from Arkansas. It's a lot. Somebody said, oh, if I won that billion dollars, I would pay a tenth to the church and get that roof fixed. No, you wouldn't. Not when you start writing that check out and you start putting them zeros on there. You go, wait a minute. If you won't give a hundred, if you won't tithe off a thousand, if you won't tithe off a hundred, you ain't going to tithe off of a billion. That's just the way it is. So I'm not here to talk about money. I never do. But I'll tell you what, as, as the people of God, we ought to be responsible to take care of the needs. And thank you for some of you really do that. And the rest of you, I hope you learn your lesson one way or the other. Because there's nothing more important than giving to the kingdom of God. It doesn't go to me. It doesn't, my wife and I, we have jobs outside this thing. But I found out the reason why that we can survive for so long is because these things is not my source. Christ is my sufficiency. Amen. Now, these other things are important. So the word sufficient is a word called, in the Greek, archaeo. And archaeo is a funny word, but it means to, to, be, to, it means to have enough, to be content, to satisfy, and to be satisfied. See, right where you are, God will never say, we'll wait till you, you become rich and famous before I'll do something with you. God walks up to Moses and says, what do you got in your hand? They, they, they get their back against the Red Sea, and Moses said, I'll tell you what we need, God. He said, tell me. He said, we need a bridge. Huh. We need a bridge. We need a concrete bridge. And, if you, if, and with that bridge, we, we need some golf carts. We got about two million people following me. We need some help here. We need a bridge. And God said, well, we ain't got a bridge. And Moses said, oh. And God says, what do you got in your hand? He said, all I have is a staff I picked up in the desert. God said, then use what's in your hand. He looked at Aaron, his brother, and he said, what have you got in your hand? He said, all I've got is a dead stick of an almond branch. He said, then use it. I'll make it blood, I'll make it bud and blossom. David, what you got in your hand? I, 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 I wish I had an M16 or AK-47 or a bazooka or a grenade launcher or a picture of Ron Edge in the morning, but I don't have any of that. All I have in my hand is a slingshot and five little stones. God said, use what's in your hand. The widow's meal, two tablespoons of oil, and half a cup of, of meal. That's all I got. See, God never waits for you to accumulate stuff. By definition, the word, this word sufficient is where we get a word for. It's a wealth of resources that's been accumulated. It's, it's not the fact that you have a, a lot of stuff. It means this, that whatever you have in your hand, let God use it. Don't hang on to it with a clenched fist. Don't wait till you get bigger and faster and brighter. Whatever talent that God has given you, use it. Archaeo means this, that whatever God has given me right now at the moment is sufficient to help me survive today. And sitting around and hoping and wishing that you are better looking and more talented and more richer, that probably is not going to happen. 
So whatever that God has given you in your hand right now, it is sufficiency or our kale. It's enough to cause you to be content, not only in God, but in life as well. So the Latin word, ateokeo, it means Christ alone. Ateokeo means this, Christ alone. Christ is more than enough. Now, for some of you, that doesn't mean anything. Raising a Pentecostal church, you didn't have church, so people, you, you thought they were on fire running around the building. You didn't think they had church, so the music played for an hour and a half. And after the music was over, and after people, finally you got them to settle down, they were passed out with exhaustion, they, will, they went home unchanged because they went home without the, the, the assurance that it was Christ alone is sufficient for my need. That's it. When they hand you a pink slip at the doctor, when they hand you a pink slip at work, when I hand you a pink slip at church, says you're out of here. You better have more than just stuff. You better have Christ and Christ alone because he and he alone is the sufficiency for your survival. It's true. So now then, Philippians 1 and 19. Two small words, and then we're going to let you go. For I know that this shall turn into my salvation through your prayers. The word salvation, that means my conversion, or we're going to get past this. We're going to get through this. He was struggling quite a bit in Philippi. For I know this shall turn into my salvation through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, Philippi is where the first church was born. And how did it get started? And it wasn't somebody saying, hey, I got a great idea. Let's have a prayer meeting and let's start a church. That's not how the first church in Philippi started. How did it start? It started in a prison cell. In the basement of a dungeon where Paul and Silas is being beaten to a pulp. And after they were beaten to a pulp, the jailer come by and say, in the morning when the cock crows, it's over. So what did they do? They couldn't call Dr. Phil or Sister Oprah. What did they do? They just started singing. And they said to themselves, well, if this is our last day of life, I'd like to go out of this life singing about the greatness of God. So they just started singing. I just feel like something good is about to happen. You know, I just feel like something good is on its way, you know. And somewhere through the second verse and the third verse of whatever song, I don't have any idea what they're singing. The angel of the Lord came in and just took the whole doors of the cell off and said, come on, boys, it's time to go. What happens is this, that when you really understand that it doesn't really matter the time period of your life coming or going, all it really matters is what they understood is Christ alone in my life. Paul said, we've had, we've had the experience of knowing him. I had the experience of witnessing him on the Damascus Road. I had the opportunity to see people come saved, get born again. And if this is my end of my lot and life, then so be it. I'm going to go out worshiping and thanking God through song. Now, if that was us, I'll guarantee you, boy, I mean, we would call 1-800-IT'S-A-DEVIL. I mean, we would just be panicking. Sufficiency grace is this, and pay attention. It doesn't mean that God may or may not choose to reroute your fate in life. 
because that, that's probably a lie. And I know in the charismatic circles and the Pentecostal circles, you're, you're, I know you've been programmed. <clears throat> if you pray hard enough and long enough and loud enough, God will change certain things. I know in the Bible certain things were changed. I believe in prayer. I'm a man of prayer. The sufficiency grace is this, that even though that God does not change it, he does something to change you on the inside. Now, that's supernatural. Every one of you experienced some great loss. And, 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 and the naysayers said, well, you didn't pray hard enough. You didn't go to the right church. You, you didn't speak in tongues. You didn't give enough in the offering, all those things. And I will tell you, sometimes, as I said last week, some things are not meant to be changed. Some things are meant to be endured. But while you're enduring them, he gives you the grace of sufficiency. It means it's all right. It's okay. Even at death, it's okay. Even though Tom West will not give me that hummingbird guitar, <sighs> it's okay. That takes more than loud music and a fancy tongue. That takes a supernatural grace that comes only from God because of Christ by the Holy Spirit. Every one of us faces battles and hardships and we get exhausted from the day of all kinds of stuff. But have you ever known somebody that experienced probably the same thing that you're going through, but they keep going strong? They keep smiling. They keep standing upright and being sufficient in all things instead of falling like flies. And how is that possible? One answer. It's called the supply of the Spirit. Now, for the next 10 minutes, I'm going to let you go, but this is very important. How is it that people can go through the same thing that you go through, basically, and they still remain strong and positive in God? How is that possible? Very simple. It's called the supply of the Spirit. There are two words in the Greek for supply. The first one is, is found in Philippians 4.19, and you know this verse. But my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. This word supply is called pleru. It means to, to fill until it's completely full. Pleroma was a word in the Greek used to describe the fullness of God. In, in what we're going to call street Greek, it means it just, it's, it's not classical Greek, but it means to, to cram that full, to fill up a hollow place, means your stomach, to fill the void, to abound the lack. It's not just eating a meal at Thanksgiving. I've eaten so much, my buttons are coming off my shirt and breaking the light bulbs. It's just, that is the supply of the Spirit. The supply of the Spirit is more of a verb than it is a noun. It means it's a constant, ongoing filling in whatever lack that you have. Now, I want to say this to you first in the kindest way. He's speaking to a church that absolutely gave him out of their own needs. They gave to him that he could carry the gospel on. The church of Corinth and Ephesus was very wealthy and they gave him nothing. That's why he went to work making tents. But that didn't stop him. He wasn't a crybaby and it wasn't a bunch of wah-wahs. But the church of Philippi was very modest and common people, but yet out of their needs, 
They helped him carry the gospel. And that's why he says, my God shall supply all of your needs because you gave to me, God will give to you. So this is not about a plea of money, but I will tell you right now that when you use this verse and you say, God supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. That's true. But now then what have you done with your supply in giving to the ministry? Because if you don't give to the kingdom of God, then that negates that scripture as far as God's concerned. Now, that sounds kind of cruel, but that's just the way it works. Here's the mathematics. Welcome to Classroom 101. I guess what I'm telling you in the kingdom of heaven is like this, that, that when you begin to sow into the kingdom, then God is obligated to meet your needs. And he will. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm telling you, whatever it may be, according to the supply that you give to the kingdom, then God in return, it's called reciprocity. And if you haven't learned that, you're going to learn it before I resign and you die. So why is it that somebody, we can keep going. I mean, I mean we, we, we've been up here for 30-something years, and, and we keep preaching the gospel, and, we, and everything in the world probably has happened to us in the last 15 years that you can imagine that nobody needs to experience that we experience. Why is it that we still remain healthy and happy and, and full because it is the supply of the Spirit God is obligated to fulfill us and fill us to the full because we have given our lives to Him. And He'll do the same for you. And matter of fact, this word is so funny. In, in street Greek, it means this. It means that the glass is so full that if you move it, it'll spill over. And, and so this is the word where we get a word count, but it doesn't matter. But it means that we can be so full in God because we've done the right things in God. There's a lot of people that's come to this church and they've heard me just like you. And they walked out here spiritually bankrupt and financially bankrupt. And I would say to them, well, good for you. You should have paid attention and you should have followed instructions. But you'll learn it one way or the other. But it's our responsibility to be so full in God that when we walk out here, we kind of tip over it and we just splosh it out on somebody that needs a little bit of grace. Because God is a giver of great things. So it's not just about the, the needs for myself. Matter of fact, in the Greek, it says this, that it's more given to us than we need for our own personal use. God gives me more than what I just need. And I will explain this to you. That if all God gave me what I need, I wouldn't be here this morning and give it to you. You don't have to say anything, but for the last 30 something years, you ought to be thankful that God has given me enough for me and my family and my wife and my bird dog and you as well. Well, I can't go to church today. I just got barely enough to get out of bed and say a you Hail Mary to the old father, I've sinned. I've got just barely enough grace to. I'm glad that, to inform you this morning that no matter what we've experienced as people of God, that he's given us enough sufficient grace that not only that has satisfied us, but wherever we go, that we can splosh over and spill out to other people to help satisfy their needs. That's called abundant grace. The second word this morning before we close Philippians 1 and 19, notice he's speaking to the Philippian church. There's a reason for it. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply 
of the spirit of Jesus. The first one is my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Now this one, this word supply is a Greek word called epikouragos. Epikouragos. It is both a noun and a verb, and I want to explain. It's who he is and what he does. Now, the word epi is someone that is either upon or beside, but usually it's upon. Soon is beside. Epi is upon or on top of it. <clears throat> it's kind of like a, a, um, uh, an overseer. Like a bishop is called episcopos. Scopos is a scope. Epi is, means this, that these cardinals or these people in leadership is looking over the people, the factory workers, with a scope. They're making sure you do your job. And Thomas does his job, I'll tell you that. Epicorigos, Corigo is who he is, and Corigos is what he does. So this won't take but a minute, but I'm going to explain this to you. The, the word corigo is where we get a word for, in the Greek, for koros, which we get a word for a choir, chorus, a circle, or a ring. Where we get a word for choreography, choreography. So epichoreagos, it is a person that is looking over the choir. Now, in Greek culture, they, were, they, were, they, were, they took a lot of pride in arts, operas, theater. They were very sophisticated. Matter of fact, they thought that if you didn't speak Greek, you was a barbarian. That's the way it was. They were very intellect, very refined in culture, society. So they felt like they had reached the apex of, of as far as humankind. So this, this Epicorigos was referring to the operas or the choir in the theaters. People would come out by the thousands, took a lot of pride in it. I watched it the other day on television. We, we don't have cable, so I get this antenna thing, but the Mormon tabernacle choir, choir I, I don't believe in their doctrine, but boy, they got a great choir. Well, they got a great organist. I don't even think he's playing that. I don't know who's playing that. But there's an organ as big as this building, and he's up there just playing. But there's a thousand in this choir. A thousand, probably. And I mean, you, you're, you know, you're just paralyzed by how beautiful they are. But, but as far as the choir, they got that down. Corrigo was a guy in the community that was very wealthy. He was very, he was very successful in business, but not only that, he took his own personal responsibility to look over the choir's need. Epicorigos, pay attention. Paul is writing a letter to these people that they know fluidly what he's talking about, and we don't. 
And they had this massive choir that on all the special holidays and, and, and this choir could come together in their pageantry and their robes and their costumes and their theaters. And, and, and people would, by the thousands would come just to hear this choir. But the choir could not go on without finances. So I don't know if they passed the pot. I don't know if they... Past the bucket? I don't know what happened. All we're told is the Apostle Paul said, but the Epicurigos is that there is one that's made his mission in life that whatever the choir needs, they'll have it. And now then, this, these people, their ears are perked up because they understand this. Corrego, by definition, it means someone who contributes to furnish the needs of the choir. That's his job. If the choir's needs are not being met, he said, I'll take care of that. He's not running for public office. It's just love for the fine arts. And Epicurigos, it refers and describes someone that loves the choir and the pageantry and the plays and the fine arts and the music so much, he said this, that my job is to make sure that the choir, the chorus, continues without any lack. And they did not. God is that patron. God is that sponsor. The total cost of our relationship and fellowship for life was paid for in advance by the work of Jesus at the cross. And everything that we will ever need from the new birth to the new Jerusalem has already been provided for by God. Christ is sufficient. He's more than enough. So you're saying to yourself, Chuck, you're saying, so let me get this straight, Reverend. That the moment of my new birth until I get to the new Jerusalem, you mean to tell me that God's responsibility is to make sure that anything that I may need in this life that pertains to life and godliness, he has already paid for through his son Jesus and provides for me through the Holy Spirit. And you are the winner, chicken dinner. So the first thing you're going to say is this, but I pray for that person not to die and, and, and he or she died. So God failed. No, sir. God by the Holy Spirit gave you the sufficiency to endure every suffering and pain. And in that, he supernaturally gave you the strength to say this, even yet God slays me. I'll still trust him. Even though that our marriage has started out to be the love boat, turned out to be the Titanic, and I don't understand what happened. All I know is that in the midst of my divorce, in the midst of my separation, in the midst of my problems, something supernaturally happened. The situation didn't change. Something changed on the inside of me. That is the sufficiency grace of God. You was just too blinded to realize it. 
you've heard me say this and I'm going to quit with this. By the time you get to John chapter 2, the first recorded miracle that Jesus ever does, it's not the first miracle that he does, it's the first recorded miracle because we have record as a boy, he did some great things. He was God in the manger. Can we, can we just start from there? Emmanuel, God's in the manger. So, so you got to get out of thinking, well, his first miracle when he was baptized in Jordan, that is not true. That is not true. It's his first recorded by the disciples. But there was a lot of things he did growing up. So the first recorded miracle is turning water into wine. Now, if you had a liquor store back then, that'd be a pretty good gig. But back, but there was a wedding feast going on. Started out to be about 15. It last, they could last over a week, two weeks, a month. And they went from house to house and it started 15. And you know how when there's free food, now you got a thousand. You know, hey, come on over. So now then after about 10 days, we've, we've gone from 15 to 500. And Mary said, we run out. We run out. We're out. We're out. Mary said, we had enough for 15 and you invited your friends over. Now we got 800. We're out. What do you do when you run out? I'm asking you a question. What are you doing? What are you going to do when you run out? Some of you are out. You're out. No joy. No happiness in life. You're, you meddled your way here. You're enduring to stay awake. You're out and you know you're out. Wine represents joy. You're out. What do you do? So the policy of serving wine, so the question was when I was growing up, turning water into wine, at what point did it turn into wine? So some point Dexter, you know, some rocket scientist says, it was when they poured it from the pitcher to the cup. Well, show that to me, please. So at what point does he turn the water into wine? When you're out, you're out. So we have, we have, we have three little articles here. Number one, the cup is a four ounce glass. And when the glass is empty, you're out. But the glass is filled by one gallon pitcher. But when the one gallon pitcher is out, let's hear it, you're out. So now then we've got, we've got, we've got nine firkins over there, which is one firkin is somewhere a water pot of 27 gallons per pot, and you have six pots, so now then, six times 27, we have 162 gallons of water sitting over in huge pots. So the four ounce cup is out, the gallon is out, and the 162 gallons of water that we thought we could ever, never deplete is out. And Mary said, we're out. Somebody said, what do you mean you're out? We're out. How can you use 162 gallons of water? We're out. She comes to Jesus and she says, we need you. And he said, woman, it's not my time. And you know, it's not my time. She knows him. She's seen him do some things. Why does she say, well, you got to do something? Why does she say that? 
She watched him. She knew who he was as a boy. She heard the angel. She was there when that seed was placed in him. So what do you do when you're out? What do you do when you can't pay your electric bill? You can't pay your gas bill? When your marriage is on the rocks? What do you do when you're out? I'm out. What do you do when there's no joy in the music anymore? There's no joy in one another. What do you do? You're out. What do you do? So when you're out of four ounces and you're out, you're out of one gallon and you're out of 162 gallons, now what do we have to do? And Jesus took a couple guys and he said, follow me. And they went through the back kitchen and this is where they wound up. And if he's in the business of turning water into wine, the question is this morning is, how much water is in a well? And here's the answer, it's more than enough. Can you imagine these servers and friends of, of Mary? And it, was, it was a social embarrassment to realize that they're out, they're out. And Mary said, you know what she did? She goes, I'm gonna pull the mama card on you. She did. And he said, what do you mean we're out? We're out. What about the cup? It's out. What about the gallon? We're out. What about the 162 gallons over the water pots? We're out. And Jesus goes through the back kitchen and to the well drops a well bucket into the well, they pull it up and it's just as red as Mike Phillips' shirt. How much water is in the well that he can turn into wine? More than you'll ever need. Let us draw with joy from the wells of our salvation. I don't know this morning what you're out of. You may be out of hope. You may be out of love. You may be out of laughter. You may be out of money. You may be out of good health. I don't know what you're out of, but I'll tell you, some of you here this morning, all of us, we get a place where we're out. But in the well, there's more than enough to satisfy whatever needs you have. Christ is that well. I'm going to let you down and I'm going to fail you. Here we go. We got to go. I'm going to disappoint you. Sorry about that. I'm going to bypass you and not shake your hand sometimes on Sunday. I'm sorry. I'm not going to take you out to dinner like I do Danny Sherry every night, but I'm sorry. But I'm trying to get you away from me the cup and the gallon pitchers and the 162 gallons of religion. I'm trying to get you to the well. In him, there is no end. The woman at the well, she dropped her bucket and she said, I have found the well. So this morning, 
I don't know what you're in need of, but I'll tell you one thing. Sufficient grace that God will make sure that whatever you have need of, he will supply it. Amen. Father, this morning for every parent that has a wayward son, for every mother that has a wayward daughter, for every father that has felt like that he's a failure, for every grandparent in this place that has grandchildren that are making wrong decisions, For every husband and every wife that is right now experiencing a change of life that they have no answers for and they find themselves out. For every Christian this morning that's here in this place that have been through and gone through and experienced some some grueling circumstances that we find ourselves out. The preacher couldn't do enough. The singers could not sing loud enough. The church was not friendly enough. We're out. But there is a well. It is Christ the Messiah. And in Him there is no end. And Paul says, what is the depth? What is the breadth? What is the height of his love for us? And Father, this morning I pray that sufficient grace will be casted down upon us today. Every heart that seems to be wayward and every mind that seems to be struggling, your grace is sufficient for my need. You have more grace than I have sin. You have more grace than I have obstacles. Your grace is greater than my imperfections. And we need it this morning in this place. And we give you thanks this morning for the never-ending well of God that flows by the Holy Spirit to our life in Jesus' name. And the people of God say, Amen. Amen. If you believe that this morning, stand and give the Lord a praise offering, if you would, please. The Lord is worthy today. Communion service, make your way. cup won't satisfy you. The gallon will leave you dry. The religious services will wind up empty one day. But the supply of God comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the constant supply of the Holy Spirit. And God is that epichoriagos. God is constantly watching over you that whatever your need may be, He will supply that. And if He doesn't change your situation, He'll change you.
and you will say with me this morning, Reverend, his grace is sufficient for me. That night, Jesus sat with his disciples and he took the bread and the cup. And he lifted up the bread and he said, this bread is symbolic of the first Passover, the unleavened bread without sin. But Jesus said, I am the bread of life which now comes down from the Father. John 6. And if any man eats of me, he will never hunger again. And then he took the cup and he lifted it up and he said, this cup symbolizes the lamb's blood that was shed in the first Passover and it was taken and placed upon the doorpost in the shape of a cross that Abaddon, the death angel, would pass over. But as John the Baptist heralded that I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and my Father will take my blood in the shape of a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Take the bread and drink of the cup and remember me. I have the awesome privilege every Sunday to celebrate Holy Communion. Of all the mess that I've been through this week, it gets to be swallowed up and washed away by the communion of God. And He prepares me today for whatever we will face this week. That's the supply of the Spirit of God. Father, bless this cup, bless this bread. And for all that partake of it, let them find life, happiness, and sufficiency that only comes through Christ. Amen.